Hey, pal. Well, I've pals. Welcome to the newest edition of Hey Pal, I'm Coachable. Uh, thank you very much for being uh, part of the show and listening in again for week three of it. Um, I'll probably say it 10 million times in this episode. I really appreciate it and I appreciate everyone who um, has been just yeah shooting me messages through the week. Um, I had planned to write an introduction here and uh, you know I wasn't really too sure if um, this week's episode was going to happen, um, even though it was early days in the in the show. But um, I'll keep it brief. Um, I just wanted to, again, thank everyone who sent me messages, uh, as you might have seen on either my personal social medias or um, uh, the the Colonel Bod handles and all those ones. That, um, a really tough week, personally. Um, I lost uh, lost a good friend, um, tragically passed away. Um, and without going too far into the weeds, it's just one of those ones that, you know, when it's someone close to you, it, it obviously it cuts deep, but... Um, when it's also someone close to you who the last time you spoke to them was just an argument and you, you know, you're stubbornly like not giving in on the argument. It's, you know, you, you don't get another chance to, um, you know, redo that conversation. So I won't spend too long on that here. All I was to say is that, um, you know, um, my friend, uh, you will be missed, um, by a lot more people than, um, I think you would truly believe. Um, and yeah. Um, that's all I've got. But um, again, I won't I won't bring you guys down too much because we've got a really exciting episode here. Um, I did record it last week, just in the midst of, um, of of getting that that horrible news, and so I'm really appreciative. There we go. Said appreciative again um, of our guests because I hadn't told them, and and their chat genuinely. Um, you know, it did help as well because it was such a fascinating chat. They went into such detail, and and their stories are wonderful. So. Um, Hopefully you're not having a really, really, you know, terrible um, emotional week. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is um, for our guests today, Pia Filetti and uh, Andrew Delaretto from the West Coast Eagles AFLW program, this is just a hugely insightful interview about um, their stories up until the point they got involved with coaching, both really good athletes in their own right. Um, and uh, some really funny tales along the way of uh, how this power couple, this... Uh, um, uh, this wife and husband team are now taking all comers by storm in the AFLW. So without further ado, I'm going to stop the jibber-jabber. Thanks again for tuning in, and we're going to head over to our guests, Pia Folletti and Andrew Dilleretto. On today's episode... Uh it's only episode three and we're, we're pulling out the big guns here because we're going for a double act. And uh, once we get into the story of both these individuals, I can't wait to just let you guys know what an awesome story it is. So from the West Coast Eagles AFLW program, I'm joined by the power couple, the husband-wife team here. I've got Pia Folletti, the Fords coach of the West Coast Eagles, and Andrew Dilleretto, the head of development of the West Coast Eagles there. Uh, apologies in advance. I'm going to call him Dilla throughout the entire episode because that's what we know him as. But uh, Dilla, Pia, hey, pals. Hey, pal. How you doing? Good, thanks. Hey, pal. Great to be here. 
Oh, thanks so much for joining. It's as as I touched on there, it's sort of the uh, quote unquote power couple here, um, having a you know a married couple. They're big coaches in a in an elite AFLW program. And uh, before we dive into your journeys and and how you got to where you are right now, and all the trials, tribulations, and and fun stories that got to there, oh, you were saying before we started this interview that you know people didn't actually know that until you know later on in the season. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? when the penny dropped for your, uh, for your uh, players? Yeah, well, I, I guess um, Dilla was at the club uh, for a number of years before I came on board. And, uh, yeah, we were not ones to make big fanfare about ourselves. So in the off-season we, we got married. And then um, last year, 2022, we had two seasons in the year. So the second season I actually became the forwards coach. Um, and obviously that with that came travelling. Um, but part of this is probably my fault because I've been really lazy in terms of getting my surname changed as well. So um, I, I will take the brunt probably for this misunderstanding by a number of the players. But, yeah, we were on the Gold Coast. It was probably two-thirds into the season and um, the girls were getting strapped up and ready for the game um, at the hotel. And um, I made a comment about, uh, my rings, I usually have this kind of silicon ring that I, I put on instead when handling footies because that's obviously a little uh, better than having diamonds flashing around here and there. Yeah. And uh, and one of the girls goes, oh, I didn't know you were married. And I was like, yeah, well, well, I am. And she goes, oh, who are you married to? And I went, oh, that guy over there. She went, Dilla. And I went, yeah, yeah, Dilla and I are married. And she was like, What? And so then it became a, a big thing, a lot of the young girls um, questioning um, and they were like, oh, we just thought you were really good friends. That's why you had the same room. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, the the extra sort of bit to that story is, is a couple of girls sort of whispering through the corridors of the hotel on the Gold Coast, you know, sort of between each other saying that they'd seen the two of us leaving from the same hotel room and weren't sure what was going on and, we obviously had no idea that we hadn't really explained ourselves properly that, that we were a married married couple to them. Yeah, it would have been it would have been more awkward if they said, "Oh, here, who are you married to?" It's like, weren't you in Dilla's room? Like, what? How did this happen? Um, and yeah, no, you guys are wonderful people that uh, I've been fortunate to know for a very long time. I was, and again, very fortunate to be part of that wedding. It was a lovely service, one of the best weddings, uh, definitely. Uh, the best wedding involving anyone in this podcast today that I've ever been to. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Eric. No, it's all right. It's, it's, it's just, you know, you're at the top of the pops. But, no, it was a great ceremony and, and I probably need to reimburse a medical bill because I definitely chewed Ryan Turnbull's ear off after a few babies. So, um, but let's rewind you. a bit. Lovely man. Lovely man you should have on the podcast another time. Great man. Well, there we go. We'll, we'll get my people to talk to your people to talk to Ryan's people. Yeah, he's an absolute gentleman and wonderful person. But let's rewind a little bit uh, back in the Wayback Machine before this uh, this part of your lives here in the coaching realm for AFLW for the West Coast Eagles. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, obviously, big sports heads because, you know, you don't get involved with coaching if you don't have that passion. Um, tell me a bit about your early fandoms, as as kids, you know, whether it was sports teams, or particular athletes that really enamored you to to sport in general. I'll allow my wife to start. Oh, okay. Um, well, 
I did start off as a as a West Coast fan um, in terms of the AFL, um, but we actually jumped ship when Frio came on board because it meant we could attend games. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, my my I have two younger brothers and and we just loved everything footy. Um, I couldn't play, so I played netball, but I would, you know, goal umpire their games and be down and, you know, um, footy was a great bonding thing for us. So the opportunity to actually go to games um, at the Wacker and Subi Oval, that was um, what made us kind of jump ship. But I was never never a hatred of West Coast from when I, I jumped across and, and just watched as much footy as I could. Um, but I concurrently played netball, so... Um, also was pretty big into the the Perth Orioles at the time, so I went to a few of those games. Um, and then later on in high school, I actually got into tennis and um, football, as in soccer football, because they were the kind of things I could play in high school. So, um, yeah, in terms of fandom, that's that's where that kind of came and, and that's what I kind of did, netball and, and tennis and football. And uh, all good now with the employment front that, uh, you know, you're a, you know, a member of the other side as you were when you were a kid or just one of those things. It doesn't really matter these days. There's so many chopping and changing between teams and, and, and whatnot. Yeah, there is. I, I certainly am not uh, not wearing purple down to the club or, <laughs> or in public. Um, yeah, yep. but, um, yeah, they're, they're pretty good. They recognise, obviously, that people have not um, always been huge fans, but, I, I, you know, I do love the club and um, working at the club has given me a new appreciation for the, the history of it. And, um, yeah, wish I had been a bit older so I could have jumped on one of those early memberships and and uh, got to go to the Eagles games as well. But it is what it is. And, um, yeah, yeah, I'm just uh, very happy to be involved in footing in some capacity now. Yeah, you're absolutely right as well. Um, West Coast are just an amazing organisation. I had a cup of coffee with them when I was in uni with some casual work in the office and the marketing team. Everyone there, just wonderful human beings, albeit a couple of years ago. They also didn't mind that this guy walking with a big full sleeve Bulldogs tattoo was there wearing an Eagles polo. So a very welcoming environment indeed. Um, Dilla, how about yourself growing up? Yeah, um, I'm extremely fortunate. I... I'm a lifelong West Coast Eagles fan, um, footy head growing up, um, strongly influenced by my dad. So to work at the the club I grew up supporting is is pretty surreal, to be honest. Um, but that being said, like, um, it wasn't just sort of football. A bit like you made a big into my cricket growing up. Obviously, the Australian cricket team in the 90s and early 2000s were, you know, on every TV in the summer and I was sitting in front of the couch watching them. And um, yeah, as you sort of alluded to big sports head. So love my basketball. Uh, I'm big into my pro wrestling, whether you deem that to be a sport, but certainly a fandom. Um, dad's dad's big into his motor racing. So for dad, it's probably football and, and, and motor racing. And, and that was a big influence on me when I was younger, watching the V8 supercars a lot growing up and, um, in in terms of, you know, sort of individual athletes that I sort of looked up to, um, I'm, I'm of that generation where Michael Jordan was sort of everything and everywhere. And, and I guess that was probably from afar, apart from, you know, yeah, sort of local footy idols, it was probably Michael Jordan at the time, mate. Yeah. And one thing that just struck me about both your answers there is um, with yourself, Dilla, talking about, 
your, your dad being a fan as well and Pia for yourself with your, your brothers and your family involved as well. Was that big, part of the big attraction to sports? Obviously, sports in themselves are pretty great, but the fact that it was something that you could share and enjoy with your family members? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my dad was a, a phys ed teacher by trade, so um, we were always going to be encouraged into sport. Um, not that that was, you know, uh, there was going to be much resistance there um, because naturally we were just kids that would like tore around and, and needed to burn off some energy. So um, channeling that into sport was definitely um, definitely going to happen. But, yeah, dad was a big factor in that and he was actually quite a talented um, basketballer. Um, so we kind of got into basketball watching it later on, but he was I reckon he was a bit devastated early on that none of us went down that um, avenue. But neither were we very tall, so um, we can <laughs> kind of blame that on him also. Um, but yeah, family, family and sport are, are inherently linked in uh, in the Folletti family. So um, yeah, it was it was meant to be. Yeah, similar similar parallel path um, for me. Dad, um, yeah, just really passionate about sport in general. But actually, my mum is actually the sort of naturally talented one. She was a state uh, underage representative netball player. Um, so they're a bit like Pierre's household, um, just sort of wall-to-wall sport growing up. My mum owned a, an indoor netball centre, so we were there a lot. Dad was our footy coach. Um, you know, whether it was cricket, it was footy, it was basketball, it was netball, whatever it might have been. Um, it was it was front and centre, much like Pierre's household for my household. Yeah, and with that, you mentioned both of you there about the, uh, you know, the sports you played as you were growing up. Um, before we dive into the coaching aspect of what you guys do now and how you got to there, tell us a little bit about, I guess, your sporting careers and and sort of any highlights or memories to where you got. I know you were both talented footballers, and I say you were as if you, you don't know how to kick a footy anymore. But, um, yeah, tell us a bit about your sporting careers. Uh, I don't know if you'd call me a talented footballer, but I, I had longevity, I guess. <laughs> Tough about um, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Obviously, I got into that very late. I played a bit in high school in the, you know, term two smarter than smoking cup or whatever it was called um, from year eight through to year 12. But um, it wasn't until, you know, I turned probably 21 and was running around with my brothers doing their preseason that they said, why don't you you look for a comp? Um, And there happened to be one. So I, I fired off a couple of emails to a couple of clubs and only one got back to me. So I, I rocked up there for a preseason and um, 213 games later, um, that was it. But uh, um, in terms of favourite memories, um, I actually really enjoyed feeling up, uh, waking up on a Monday and, and feeling bruised and battered. I felt like I'd achieved something. So that. Sounds a bit. Um, I was going to say it's an odd statement without the. It is an odd. There. It is an odd statement, but I, I did, I did, you know, really enjoy um, how, I guess, challenging football is as a sport. There's, you know, you're getting knocked down. You got to get up. Then you got to execute skills. Then you got to run. You know, up to ten k's in a game. You know, um, so it was probably the most arduous and challenging sport that I'd ever played. You know. Tennis, you've got to execute skills and, and run a fair bit, but it's over a short distance and no one's beating you up at the time. So, um, yeah, I love that. I, I was lucky to play in a couple of premierships um, and win, a, I guess, a couple of 
personal awards, but um, yeah, it was just, it was more that feeling of achievement of, you know, some real hard graft on the weekend and waking up Monday and knowing that, you know, I'd contributed to something as a team uh, that was a bit more than me. So yeah, that was, that, that's probably my favorite, I guess, kind of ongoing memory of playing footy in my footy career. It's crazy when you think, when you say it out loud and I guess like you can have all your Telstra trackers come up and whatnot on the screen, but you don't realize just how much there is to that game of footy, which is like your endurance and running 10 Ks. I think, I filled in one time and one time only for Dilla's footy side, ran 10 metres <laughs> and, and asked to get a sub. So that's just baffling that, you know, you run 10Ks and then you've got to add in the, the added pressures of, you know, the bumps, the bruises, the, you know, the actual kicking, the handballing, and just it's, it's mental. Um, Dilla, how about yourself? You, well, what about your, um, your sporting exploits? Yeah, um, I'll elaborate in a second, but if we could just no. uh, pause on that for a second. Okay. Can the... Can we, can we not have the byline of this podcast as um, wife of married couple talks about getting bruised and battered? Oh, that, that's, yeah. um, that needs some context. Yeah. <laughs> like, we won't cut up that clip. It's okay. That's not, not going to be the teaser um, for the episode. Please, please and thank you. Please and thank you. Um, for me, um, I, I was the battler, mate. Uh, I, I'd sort of figured out footy really late. Um, I was a I was a decent underage footballer. Uh, sort of uh, had poor vision when I was young, and I got contact lenses when I was fifteen years of age. And the game of footy and sport in general, believe it or not, uh, at the time I was playing indoor cricket, and because I had glass lenses, um, they wouldn't allow me to play with my glasses on. Oh, okay. So I was playing indoor cricket pretty much blind, playing social basketball pretty much blind because I wasn't allowed to wear my glasses um, and I didn't have contact lenses. So um, that was the challenge. But at the age of 15, I got contact lenses and who knew? Um, my, my personal development spiked. Um, the next year I got noticed by the club in my, well, the uh, Waffle Club in my district, which was West Perth. and. Um, did a pre-season of, of Colts and fortunate enough to make it into their their, their list. Uh, I only played six games over two years on a Colts list. I never really figured it out at that level, um, yeah, which was, was disappointing. And I, I left there certainly on a sour note um, as a young fellow that just uh, probably didn't, didn't achieve what I probably could have got out of it with tiny little bit of talent but I guess just a just a battler when you wrap it all up at that level played a lot of amateur football in my time um really enjoyed that learned a lot from that had a lot of fun with that um I guess individually in terms of success uh I was fortunate enough to play in a couple of premierships in in juniors and ammos um which were great and I you know hold them Hold them dearly. Uh, in terms of like the highest level of footy I played, the, probably the memory that sticks out the most was the first win at West Perth against Perth, uh, which fortunately was in my first game. Um, didn't didn't win another one. That was the one and only one that I that I won there. So it's a pretty pretty easy achievement list. Um, and then the other one that sort of joke about um, with the some of the old Amos teammates is I. 
I've actually won four coaches awards and come fourth in the best and fairest four times. Hey, a little so, neurology. Yeah, yeah. So you know, battler off a halfback flank that that wasn't good enough to really win any individual awards, but uh, but but consistent, consistent, mate. So um, yeah, I like I guess reflecting and something that stands out for me is, and we can obviously segue into the women's pathway that Pierre and I work in. Um, I'm just extremely fortunate when reflecting that, you know, I could I could walk down to the local club when I was six years old and play footy and yeah. and that wasn't really available to Pierre until she's 21 years of age, you know, like and how much that's changed now for for young male and female footballers is 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 awesome. Um, but I'm obviously grateful that you know, for me, it was just a given that I could walk into a, a community club at at five or six years old and and play footy and and um, yeah, that was sort of sort of my personal journey, mate. Yeah, and it is something that um, maybe younger listeners of of the show maybe do take for granted um, is that fact that uh, you and I, uh, being of the male species, we're very lucky and fortunate in terms of how easy it was for us to get into community sport yourself with footy myself with my, with my local community cricket club and it was the same thing when we brought our women's program in a few years ago it's like there was nowhere to come in at that community level at that time so i mean it's something that you and i probably and, and people of our age demographic take for granted and just quickly on cricket i was very upset you didn't mention the premiership with our indoor cricket team white man can't stump so um, oh well we can we can talk all night <laughs> about that what a, yeah that might be what another a, what an amazing night that was. Yeah, that might be another <laughs> podcast. But um, you, you guys are both, like, I say that you're talented. You both are sort of very humble, said battler, and, you know, you sort of talk yourself down, which I expect from you too. That's okay. But one place you can't be humble and, and talk yourself down is the uh, the world of professional wrestling. And uh, you both had, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, involvement with that, with the local company here, EPW Perth. Um Dilla, I think you were a cake eater by the name of Adam Banks. And uh, <laughs> and Pia, you were sort of, uh, you know, in reference to a goat, Blair Brady. Tell us a bit about the pro wrestling lifestyle and, and maybe if that has any influence from moving to, I guess, full-time sport as an athlete in terms of then, you know, your coaching pathways. Yeah, I'll, I'll pro- go for it, Pia. Yeah, I, I probably got more on this than than Pierre might but um but yeah I'd certainly let her speak to it yeah I I will just be very short and succinct with this because um yeah it was something I I guess I tried out and again loved (laughs) I'm starting to sound a bit like a masochist really because (laughs) (laughs) it's grueling and it's hard um and uh as uh as the guru Dave Farley um always used to point out it's like um multiple car crashes all the time and and in terms of impact um but yeah I I loved my little foray into into professional wrestling again working hard to to get to something um and and achieve something and there is a team aspect of it which um I guess a lot of people probably don't don't recognize just watching it for the entertainment factor but uh, you have to work together and, and um, you know, you have to look after each other and that's a big part of it. Um, I guess the being a, a, a female who's not really one for makeup and 
uh, fake tan and that kind of thing. It's probably probably the most feminine I've had to make myself for a for a sport. Um, yeah, so that yeah, was, true. That was a challenge in itself for me. Um, but yeah, I I really loved my time as Blair Brady, and um, in the end, doing it and football concurrently was just too much for for my body, no matter um, how many ice baths or cold showers or you know, um, protein supplements I had, it, it's just, uh, was a little bit too much, um, in terms of impact. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, love that it's part of my, part of my story. Um, whether we tell it to the kids or not, that's another thing. <laughs> yeah. For myself, um, I sort of alluded to it earlier that, um, my, uh, time at West Perth as a footballer ended on a bit of a sour note, partly, um, years later on reflection, my immaturity as a person and I guess at the time when I was there, the well-being space and player welfare space wasn't uh, as awesome as it is now working in football as Pierre and I see it. Um, so it's probably, I, I certainly lost my love for the game of AFL at the time and and sort of left that space and uh Eric, you and I have a lot of mutual friends in the world of pro wrestling, and I was always a fan growing up. And um, I had been, ironically, uh, I'd been a referee for a couple of years uh, for EPW, and uh, for the reason that I didn't want to get injured for football. Um, <laughs> little, little did I know, after having a bit of a falling out with football, that I thought I'd give pro wrestling a go. Um, I had one match before I seriously injured uh, my right knee. Um, and uh, unfortunately tore my ACL. Um, and then over the preceding uh, sort of seven years, I've unfortunately then uh, ruptured the ACL on my left knee twice on, on separate occasions, actually going back to amateur football. Um, but more what I wanted to allude to with, with EPW was um, sort of the forced learned experiences and self-reflections uh, that later on in life have has helped me um, with football, with business, and um, Pierre sort of mentioned a, a mentor to us all, a guy called Dave Farley, who, whether he likes it or not, uh, is an amazing coach in his own right and has developed a way of of helping people out through through pro wrestling. And um, sort of in my time there, I sort of walked in and uh, off the back of being in elite junior sport sort of had a bit of a swagger and I did this training camp which was a lot of fitness elements and I sort of nailed all the fitness elements pretty much better than than anybody that had ever done them and then we sort of got in the ring and man oh man was it the most difficult thing I've ever done like such an unnatural thing to learn um and as Pierre sort of said you don't realize how much of a team orientated thing is it is mostly around the safety aspects of it yep. and yeah it was just um such a shock to my system at like how incredibly coordinated i thought i was and then stepping into a wrestling ring and and being nowhere near it absolutely nowhere near it um and yeah over the preceding years sort of rehabbing and giving it a go and and learning lessons that um sort of really have helped me succeed 
in what I do now more than I thought I, I it, it actually would. Um, and I can sort of call back to this and touch on them with some examples later, but it, it was certainly a pivotal um, pathway and, and time for me in terms of uh, what's the right way to describe this? I guess understanding failure and then how to, I guess, move forward from that. Like I, I walked in, I guess, for one of a better term, a little bit cocky thinking that I'd played elite junior sport and this would be easy, right? It would be super easy. Uh, how hard can it be? And yeah, I was figuratively and metaphorically punched in the face with yeah. the, with the new skill set that I had to learn that I was I found it very difficult. Um and and took a took a fair while to really um understand the basics, nail the basics, and then even then plateauing to performing on 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 wrestling shows, um, trying to understand why I wasn't getting the reaction from the crowd that I was that I was aiming to get, and then trying to train that and then hitting hurdles and talking to trainers and, and, and other guys about how I might get better. And yeah, just the, the struggles with it. Whereas in a football space, I, I found it came relatively easy um, and then getting to, to that and then having to, to learn how to f- like figure it out basically. Um, and as I say, that, that certainly helped me as a coach, as I've moved on in life. Yeah, definitely, and, and it's one of those things. And uh, I, I love that you both mentioned Dave. Uh, his uh, DMs have been absolutely lit up by myself because he's a fascinating <laughs> person to speak to. I did say to him that we won't speak uh, we won't speak wrestling, so I'm hoping that might be the lure to get him in and uh, have a chat to us on the show. Um, he's always up for a chat anyway. But um, I want to talk about that now because obviously there's that coaching aspect to not only wrestling, but you guys would have experienced throughout you your journey playing sports at your, your different levels there, um, whether it was the um, the premierships there for footy for yourself, Pierre, or, or Dilla, even yourself through the West Perth program. But how does that look like that you go, all right, let's move into coaching. What What's sort of the, the trigger point for that to go, this is something that I'd like to do or like I'd like to coach and teach and, and pass my knowledge on and get the best out of people. And, uh, yeah, what did the pathway itself look like when you decided to make that decision? Right, I'll I'll go. I've I've told this story a couple of times recently because I've done some female coaching forums. Um, I actually, you know, hadn't entertained the idea of coaching, um, and someone asked if I could do it, uh, do a favor um, for a junior club, for a community club. So it was yeah, nine ten girls, and they said, oh, you know, it's just like teaching pretty much, and you know how to play football. So I was playing and doing that. Um, but the, the trigger point for me was actually having a coach who didn't believe in me. He didn't believe me as a player. Um, yeah, yeah. So a bit different, um, I guess from, from other journeys. Yeah. So I'd, I'd been playing for a number of years at this time and probably was getting to my twilight years, but, um, for a lot of that time had, been um, a captain for the reserve side, which obviously limited my opportunities to play league football. Um, so I still got games here and there, but 
really kind of taking on that role meant you had a commitment to the reserves team, which was fine. I was happy to happy to do that. Um, and then I thought, okay, I've been doing this for a number of time now. It's time to pass the baton on and, you know, I, I want to focus on, you know, playing some league footy to kind of end out my career and really push myself. And um, I was getting a bit comfortable just playing where I was. Um, so I did that and, um, you know, it, it so happened that around that, same time um this coach came into the club and um yeah you could see I I got a bit of a vibe that you know um he had some favorites and you know after round one I think you know I was playing off playing off half back and I went up and I you know went to spoil the ball and I completely missed it my my opponent marked it and you know I was dirty about myself for that uh like being a competitor um, but the rest of the game was fine and we won the game and, you know, things were looking great, but he actually dropped me purely for missing that one spoil. That was his, that was his rationale behind me not really? playing league the following week. Really? Um, wow. yeah, yeah, that I know. Brutal, hey? Extreme, brutal? but yeah. Extreme anyway. So, you know, I copped it on the chin and what do I need to work on? And he gave me all this stuff to do. And so I did it at training and then, you know, had to play reserves the following week, did it at that. Um, and, you know, after me kind of asking for feedback and him just kind of fobbing it off, I, I came to a pretty pretty um, quick conclusion that I just was not going to make it back in this team and he did not believe in me. So um, as an athlete myself, as a player myself, that's uh, a pretty horrible place to be to know that, uh, your progression is limited by, you know, someone who ultimately has the say, but there's nothing that you can do to to change their mind. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, it was a bit of a trigger moment because I was also coaching these nine, ten girls, and that kind of became more where I put my time and my investment rather than playing. So I just I turned up to training. I did the basics. I played reserves on the weekend. But I loved my Friday nights going and coaching these young girls because they still had that passion and that desire. And I thought, well, you know what? And I won't swear, but in my head was like, well, you know what? I don't want to ever um, have girls feel the way that I felt uh, at, like due to this coach. Yeah. So I put my time into being the best coach I could be for those girls and, and got a lot out of it. Um, and you know, they went on and, and won the premiership that year. Um, and it was, it, it, it was up there with, you know, premierships that I'd played in, um, as a player in terms of, in terms of reward. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was, that was kind of it. Um, I didn't play the next year. I, I coached those girls and I actually got asked to coach, um, at the club I was playing at, but their under 18s pathway, um, the head coach um, moved on. So, um, yeah, I got that gig and, and, and the rest is history pretty much. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's what my coaching journey started at um, from a terrible coach who didn't believe in me. Um, in terms of pathways, um, there wasn't much then. It's getting a lot better now, but I had to do a lot of um, kind of self-funded or resource professional learning um, and then did get some opportunities through like the footy commission in development pathways, which has helped me get to where I am. But yeah, um, yeah, early on still, there, there 
you know, girls' football was booming in terms of numbers, um, but the female pathway um, had not caught up yet. And I think the 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 forethought hadn't gone into it. Um, the AFLW obviously came in as a competition that was going to grow participation, but they didn't think about how do we grow participation of female coaches. Um, and that's getting a lot better. So that's good. It's finally starting to catch up, I think, now. Yeah. And just before we go to um, Dilla's uh, sort of transition into coaching, I mean, I mean, now as a coach, that's that seems like your story was obviously has, um, you know, I was going to say a happy ending. Obviously, still a lot of chapters to be written, but um, it seems like the worst thing you could do as, as a coach is to have a judgment on someone and so be so steadfast in it. Um, is that something that you've taken on to your coaching with what you said, your, your inspiration for joining the coaching ranks? Is that you're flexible and open, your mind can be changed on someone's ability or or their output, I guess. Yeah, and it probably is a, a little bit of a fault of mine that I have a lot of belief um, in in players to perform and, and um, so that challenges me when they maybe don't or uh, when maybe we have match committee discussions and um, I put my voice forward and, um, you know, a lot of others don't see what I have seen in that athlete. So... I, I guess fault's the wrong word, but I think because of that experience that I had, um, I, you know, I do look for the best in people, whether it be, um, and athletes are multifaceted, but whether it be their, you know, um, their desire to get better, their coachability, um, all those kind of aspects um, I take into consideration when thinking about you know, who they are and their value in the team and whether they deserve a position. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely um, has had a profound inf- impact on me and, and I, I guess my coaching philosophy and how I, how I um, treat my coaching practice um, on the day-to-day. Yeah, for sure. And as, as an outsider, I mean, belief in, in your players seems to be like, you know, a good trait. So I don't, I don't like, um, yeah, I wouldn't think of it as a fault being an outsider, but yeah, definitely belief is a good thing. Um, <laughs> I was going to go down the path and say, well, Ted Lasso just believes. So obviously it must be good, but obviously he's a fictional character. Um, Dilla, what about your coaching pathway? How did that uh, come to be? Yeah, uh, mate, just before you move on, like for anybody um in the coaching fraternity or looking to get into the coaching fraternity there actually is in my opinion uh as good of a comedy drama ted lasso is there's there's actually some really good footnotes on how to be a really good coach um yeah like it just the i actually had this written down to discuss with you if it if it came up so that's pretty cool um, We're big the, Ted Lasso fans here. Yeah, this, for this sure. Triangle, but so. like, it just, just for me as a coach now, reflecting on my journey, and I'll, I'll wrap back to the start in a second. But yep. just, just Ted Lasso in the show, um, coming across as like super genuine and always focusing on relationship building with his players or his staff. Um, I think is number one and number two in terms of being a good coach in in uh, in my experience and my personal self-reflections it's not 
uh, technical, technical and tactical are very important. Um, but I think if you are genuine and you make a real effort to build relationships with your players and you, you, what I mean by that is you don't, um, you don't, you don't make them anything other than organic or, or don't manufacture them as much as you possibly can. If you understand what I mean, um, yeah. you, They'll have yeah, their own mould. They don't have to be a fit mould to what you think will do the yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You um yeah, the more the more you're yourself and 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 genuine, the the better your connection with your group is going to be. And and the more you put the effort into building those relationships with them, I think the better they're gonna be. Um and I think in Piers instance, that relationship building aspect and, and trust and belief was probably not there for her as a player um, and in a way it's certainly driven her to be the brilliant coach that she is. Um, in terms of myself, I it got forced into coaching due to injury. Um, competitor like the, the two of you and probably everybody that will listen to this, um, injury sort of stopped my ability to play sport um, and to be honest with you, it was really hard to come to grips with um, for a long, long time. I was a very bitter person at different periods of my life, just not being able to, to do what I like to do. Um, so the um, competitive outlet came in the opportunity to coach at, coach footy at amateurs level, um, and that's sort of where it started for me. Uh, I didn't think I, as a player, I didn't think I'd ever be a coach. I didn't think I had much to offer in that space, if I'm honest. Um, I didn't think I was an overly good communicator. I didn't think I'd be overly patient. Um, jury's out if I'm either still. Um, but, yeah, I actually came to, over time, lose that bitterness of not being able to compete and gained, uh, I guess, a competitive hunger to make people better and try and win in a different way. Um, and I, I think it, it, it really became apparent um, firstly at that ammo's level, but then getting an opportunity to transition to do some um, under 14s, under 15s development squad stuff uh, that I sort of went, you know what, like I'm actually um, – starting to get reasonably good at this and and I could explore, you know, maybe doing this at a, at a higher level. Um, and then, yeah, super fortunate to meet Pia and you know, we obviously started dating and supported her and her. Is that why yeah. you're sharing a room? Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Gotcha. Surprise. The, 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 ironic, the ironic thing, actually, when I say that is you're actually not sharing a room at the moment because not even right. though you are guys are very busy people and probably cherish this, this time, you, you've been wonderful to record this and have to sit in separate rooms. So you're actually not in the same room at the moment, which is kind of ruining the gag. But sorry, go ahead, Dilla. No, no, you're absolutely correct. Um, there is a bit of irony there. Um, but, yeah, super fortunate that obviously just wanted to support my partner, but an opportunity came about to get involved with the women's pathway. Um, I didn't, I didn't have an eye uh, or a goal towards working at AFLW level. Um, I just 
I just thought it was a cool opportunity and I had seen how coachable uh, women's pathway players were. And it was, I guess, a bit of a breath of fresh air compared to uh, male players, which it's um, it's not a bad thing. It's just different. Like I, I sort of describe it as women's players are more spongy and are more inclined to ask questions. And then when you see growth, it, it's more rewarding because of the visible like investment. Um, a male player, in my opinion, is more uh, wanting to be guided towards the outcome. They're not um, as often, as general sweeping terms, as often one to ask questions. They'll just they'll just go and do and experiment and try and yeah. and you're sort of there as a coach in the background saying, "Hey, mate, that was that was really good. Try that again or." You know, mate, maybe you want to refine it this way. Whereas, like, and then to be honest with you, we could we could talk for hours. I, I believe there's pros and cons to both uh, both mindsets. But um, yeah, and in the in the early stages of working in women's football, that uh, that difference stood out to me, and I I found it really rewarding um, to to see how invested they were and how I could help them, and it sort of drove me to want to be better um and it was a very quick steep learning curve um and then yeah uh if you would like me to share my story of how i got to west coast it, it's somewhat interesting i guess but um i sort of ended Hopefully up it's at, interesting because otherwise yeah no i'm joking um yeah absolutely <laughs> um we were about to transition into the the eagles role so yeah please um sure. go ahead how, how's that yeah. about for yourself Dylan? yeah so uh I was uh, I was working at what is now essentially Subiaco uh, Women's Football Club, which is which is where Pia played most of her football, pretty much all of her football. Um, and then I transitioned to coaching uh, Claremont Women's for for a number of years um, after moving on from Subiaco. And my way of transitioning uh, was actually through the head of women's football at the time at the West Coast Eagles, which was Adam Selwood. And uh, during my time at Subiaco Women's, he would, you know, he uh, built a relationship with me, wanting to talk about players because in the coming years, West Coast were, they weren't in the competition at the time, but he was coming to games and they had sort of academy players and he wanted sort of to um, ask my opinion on, on particular players. And um, he actually rang me, probably two or three days uh, after I'd been told that uh, I wasn't getting my contract renewed at, at Subiaco. And, um, you know, I, he sort of rang me about these couple of players and I said, oh, here's my opinion on them, mate. But um, that's that's pretty much it. I can't, I can't give you any more of an opinion um, on those players because uh, I'm no longer there. And he goes, what do you, what do you mean? And I said, oh, I, I, I got let go. I didn't, I didn't get my contract renewed. Um, They've let me go, so um, I'm sort of in limbo. Just rubbing his hands together on the other side of the phone, just like burning a hole going, well, this is interesting. Go on. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, it was sort of in two stages. So he he knew, and I I did not know at the time, he knew that uh, Claremont Women's were after a coach, and he sort of basically hooked me up with an interview 
Um, and then basically kept in contact with him whilst I was working there. Same sort of thing, chatting to him about players. And uh, one day, basically two years later, West Coast are basically eight months out from, from being entered into the competition. And uh, he calls me one day and he's like, oh, mate, can you um, can you come into the club? Um, just wanting to have a quick chat. And he he I'd been in once before and I'd, I'd sort of taken half a day off work and it was basically a chat about nothing that could have been um, easily done over the phone. And so you're that could have been an email. No, no, no. Well, yeah, basically. The, so I, at the time I'm like, oh, geez, sellers, like, why can't we have this chat over the phone? I need to sacrifice another half day of work, you know, like, why do I have to come into the club? But I did it and um, I went in there and um, him and the first year coach, Luke Dwyer, are there and we're sort of chatting away and they're not asking any questions about players and sort of asking about my work and they're asking about my coaching journey and how I'm progressing and, you know, do I have any ambitions and this, that and the other. And I'm like, this is this is kind of weird. What? Why the art? They've never asked any questions like this of me before. Um, and yeah, basically, fifteen minutes later, they they offered me a job. Um, basically, said they'd been watching me for the entire, you know, two or three years in the in the women's system at the state league level, and really thought I was doing a half a half a good job. And position as the backline coach at the time had had become available and, and was I interested? Um, and yeah, I was. Did you was, say yes or did you have to be a yes professional? Like, oh yeah, let me consider this. Seems like um, as, as you mentioned, that the, um, not that I think, you know, don't get me wrong, any any club, if it's at the AFLW, the elite level, wouldn't matter if you, you supported whatever team, but to get that opportunity at the team you grew up barracking for, it had to be a real pinch yourself sort of moment and reaction. Oh, 100%. Um, short short answer is I actually took 24 hours to consider it. Um, but sort of half a long answer is there was there was certainly some context to it. Um, I'm an electrician by trade. I'm a contractor, so I have a small business, um, which obviously chews up a lot of my time. Um, I was, was entrenched with my commitment at, at, at building Claremont Women's. Um, so... I knew there was a lot of layers to it and I and they had they'd been West Coast this is had been very clear to me that there was gonna be a large time commitment, there'd be a travel commitment. Um they were open to me continuing on at, at Claremont whilst also coaching there. So I had to consider could I juggle, you know, basically two football programs, a small business, um, and then any resemblance of spending time with family, friends or my partner. So <laughs> Um, yeah, so I I sort of took that opportunity away from the club and spoke to Pierre about it overnight and obviously realised that it was going to be difficult in terms of time commitment. But, um, yeah, took the opportunity. Um, and to be honest with you, in one way, shape or another, it's it's pretty much been the same um, part-time, uh, time commitment, still small business, Um uh, until uh, 2021, it was still two football programs. Uh, in basically the end of 2021, I I was fairly burnt out um, and decided that it was time to 
hand over Claremont and just concentrate on one football program and and my small business. So, yeah, that's sort of transitioning to to my role there. And I guess just quickly to elaborate, I spent three years as the backs coach, the first three seasons of 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 West Coast FLW as the backs coach. Loved it. Um, and then in 2022, they approached me about being the head of development and across the development of the basically the, the whole program, which is was an exciting opportunity, and I'm, I'm still in that role now. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of little steps that, that get you there. And, you know, as you say, you've worked your way up into your current role, which we will touch on in just a moment. Um, Pia, for yourself, um, you mentioned there you've been part of the under-18s program for um, a few years. Um, you'd also been assistant coaching the WAFLW side. Um, and then how does it come about from there that, that you join the, the ranks of West Coast? Because it, you come on um, as part of the academy first, if I'm correct? Yeah, so I came on as part of they ran a, a female coaching academy, which was, at the time was uh, – I think four of us. Um, we came down to some trainings, helped out with some trainings, um, did those kinds of things. Um, and at the end of that, they asked me to come on board as a, a, a development coach, um, which I could still do in terms of, um, you know, being an assistant coach and um, being the under 18s head coach um, at SUBI. Um, albeit my time was very busy, but um, it was one night a week that uh, Dilla and I were in the same place, um, which was nice. <laughs> um, because for a number of years, we were, I think we were alternating for two years. So it was like I had training Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and he had it Tuesday, Thursday. So, yeah, um, we made each other dinner and ate it alone. But anyway. Um, how tough is yeah. that? Sorry to take a detail, but how, t- how tough is that? Because you guys are... Uh, I joked about it before in terms of like giving up some of your time, but um, you guys are very busy people. And obviously there's a lot of of love, obviously between you two, you're very similar minded, I would say in many ways and great passion for sport. But um, how, how does that balance work there where you're weighing up these great offers and then also not, not just a social life for friends and family, but like actually having time for your partner as well. Yeah, I guess. Dog. <laughs> yeah, he's the one that, um, yeah, we have to worry about because otherwise he gets destructive. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it's the advantage of Dillery. He doesn't tend to tear things up when he's annoyed or, or neglected. Um, <laughs> Not yet. But, <laughs> yeah, there's still time. Um, yeah, it was difficult, I guess. Um, we had lots of honest conversations um, before putting ourselves in that position and, uh, we knew what it, what would come of it and it would be reduced time for us and, you know, we kind of rolled from one program into another. We didn't have a holiday for like three years. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess being like-minded and being very supportive of each other's, you know, journeys and, and passions for the sport uh, helped. Um, but, yeah, there, there was certainly times where it was just like, oh, this is, this is really tough and... Um, I would just like a night on the couch, you know, we don't even have to talk to each other, but just sitting next to each other on the couch, watching something together. Um, but we did, we did make time when we, when we had time together, um, I guess, to make up for it. And um, yeah, no, we knew at, at some point there would be a tipping point where 
it wouldn't be this, you know, manic and, and time consuming. Um, it would get to a point where we would have to choose. So I guess we, we stuck it out for as much as we could. And that was, you know, for both of us in part, like loyalty to the programs that we, you know, started or, or been part of and um, wanting to, to leave them in a good place and leave them, um, I guess, sustainable before we moved on. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely tough um, and wouldn't recommend it. But um, when you're when you're driven and you're passionate about something, um, you find a way to make it work. And and I'm very thankful that I have someone like Dilla who is supportive of my aspirations and, um, you know, willing to sacrifice some of that time um, as a result of it. Yeah, for sure. And loyalty is definitely a, a, a word that I would uh, definitely associate both of you with very, very quickly. Be one of those... Um, uh, what is it to just the, the word recognition straight away, that, that instant recall. Uh, I apologise, I did cut you off, though, with that question. So you were a development coach there, was that 2022? And then that transitions into the, the current role there as forwards coach? Yeah, so um, obviously last year was was an interesting year. Um, so I think the development role started late 2021 and then um, started 2022, um, we had the COVID lockdowns and, and the hub. So um, in terms of development, it, it was difficult because um, for a large portion of the season, um, we got pre-season and, and those kinds of trainings in, but when the season kicked off, we actually didn't get um, a lot of time with the players. And um, I was working with Ryan Turnbull. I was kind of his, um, you know, development coach with the forward line. So I was watching things from afar and it's it's very hard to actually contribute. Um, but then when the hub ended and, and the team had to come back, um, the coaches um, had to make a, make a decision because on, on the back end of that, if you went in, the, went in the hub, you kind of had to stay in the hub bubble in order to, to coach um, even in WA because there were restrictions on getting people back into the state. Yeah. Um, and then after that lapse, the, the two weeks lapse, there was another away game. And um, Ryan Turnbull said, I, I can't actually, um, I can't go on this one. I've given up enough. You know, he had teenage kids and stuff. So um, the club asked me if I wanted to go over um, and fill in as, I guess, the line coach for that that last fixture which um of, of that first season in 2022 which was um which was not um a, a successful um game but it certainly gave me an insight into you know what Dilla had been doing for a number of years in terms of travel and you know the the constraints that come with that and um all the stuff you have to do to actually get a team on the road get them performing and then you know, review it and get them back to the club. So, um, yeah, from there, I guess, <laughs> even though we didn't win, um, didn't win by a long shot, um, the opportunity came up to take on on the forwards line, uh, the forwards coach role um, for the second season in 2022, um, which I pretty much jumped at because, yeah, um, I, I got a bit of fire in the belly for, you know, where could this go and where could this take me and, you know, how how good could I become at this and what could my effect size be if I continue this kind of journey? Um, so, yeah, that's how that's how I got 
to where I am now. Yeah. Um, I mean, and one of the things is that I've, that I've noticed in the, the story is um, while you guys work your backsides off and, and very talented, but it's also, you know, right place, right time and being ready to take those opportunities. So not necessarily lucking into things. That's not what I'm saying at all. But like if an opportunity comes like a, hey, Ryan can't make it, will you go along? And for yourself, Dilla, hey, look, we've got this opportunity for you. I know you've got to mull up a lot with with work and, and obviously your other coaching programs, but it's being ready to take that challenge on when it comes and, and being either, what's the old cliche? It's like opportunity knocks, you, you answer the door and whatnot. So um, definitely a, a common theme there that goes along with the reward for the hard work and the ability itself. Um, but touching on that 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 role now for yourself, Pia, um, being the, the forwards coach, um, what, what does that entail there for you on a, a I guess, a week-to-week or game-day basis? Um, not obviously asking you to say, okay, how, how do you tell your forwards to run and blah, 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 but just sort of, you know, give away any trade secrets, anything like that. What's, what's the role itself kind of look like for you? Yeah, well, I, it, it's a bit different from the other line coaches. They have full-time jobs at the club, not as the coaches. They have other other positions that make it full-time. Um, so I am a bit limited by that in that I also work, um, you know, uh, not full-time as a teacher, but the equivalent of four days as a teacher as well. Um, so I guess my week looks very chockers because um, my time at the club is limited. Um, so, you know, for example, on a Monday, I, I, I'm at school for six hours, you know, three and a half of them, active teaching and then I go straight to the club and there's an additional six hours of kind of coaching um, and that will be a after a game will be a coach review meeting meeting with individual players and reviewing them a whole team review a line review a training element or um, recovery element with players and then match committee so Monday's a, a pretty big day for me it's kind of like my two jobs in one day yeah. um and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm, I'm pretty much a teacher. Um, there is training on a Wednesday, but it's in the morning during the day. And um, unfortunately, it just doesn't fit in with my teaching schedule, which the club's really good about. Um, but, you know, still involved often, you know, um, you know, communications with players. They have days off, so I, I tend not to contact them on their day off um, unless they contact me. But you know, it might be sending through some additional footage. Um, this week they've got some homework to do. They, I want them to watch the oppo and and um, bring that to kind of our, our line meeting on Friday. Um, and then, yeah, Friday at the moment we also train. So if we play on a Saturday, it becomes a bit of like a captain's run. But if we are playing on a Sunday, then it's, it's another training session. Um, so, you know, preparing for another meeting there, which is usually around OPPO and, you know, um, what they do v what we do and, and, you know, how that marries up or how we might have to adjust slightly or um, what in, in this scenario and, you know, what about this player. Um, and then, you know, if it's a travel, if it's a travel fixture, then, you know, it can be anywhere from, 60 hours to 36 hours um, commitment over the weekend or as um, I can't remember if Dylan mentioned when we were speaking in the in the interview or whether it was before you know giving up um, a couple of days of work to to get over somewhere because of the travel commitment there Um, 
Yeah, if it is in Perth, then we generally have stuff over two days as well. There'll be a scrimmage for players who don't play in the actual team. So going okay. and watching that game. Um, and then obviously, you know, game day is, is pretty much the full day. Even I think our first round, we played um, we played late in the evening, but uh, you're effectively on from, you know, the moment you get up, you're already kind of thinking about things and, and mentally preparing for it. So it's a big commitment on top of, you know, everything that comes with definitely a glutton for punishment being an English teacher and, and the, the prep for that and the marking for that, which comes <laughs> outside the actual teaching hours. Um, but, yeah, a, a, lot of, a lot of my role is, again, you know, through building relationships and, and um, having, you know, conversations and, and, you know, meeting sounds very formal. Like uh, I guess my review meetings, I try to make them as, as two-way, um, you know, and reciprocal feedback as, as possible because um, I need to know what's working for them or, or what I need to adapt um, you can generally be looking up to, you know, eight players um, in a week and, you know, they're all going to be learning differently, uh, feeling differently, thinking differently, needing to work on different things. So, um, yeah, it, it is a lot. But, again, when you, when you love your job, um, that, that time um, isn't really a consideration. And it's great. You get two jobs where you have to, where you can give people homework and they have to respond and, and provide it to you. So that's a pretty cool thing to have that sort of power. Um, just quickly, uh, before we um, uh, switch to Dilla's role, um, and I don't know how in detail you can go about this, but as a forwards coach, um, I guess on game day, how granular do you get? Because I, you know, presumably obviously the, the coach, the head coach has their, their overall game plan and their overall adjustments that they want to make if something's working or something's not working or what may be. Um, do you then take your instruction from that head coach and then apply it to maybe what their defenders are doing or what your guys are doing um, as best you can without giving away trade secrets again? How granular do you get on a game day situation like that? Well, we've generally done a fair bit of analysis of, of what we expect the oppo to do. Um, so um, it, it there might be kind of scenarios that, that pop up that we haven't expected and that's probably where we really have to think on on the fly. How are we going to do this? Uh, there's, there's limitations now because, um, you know, it's the first season where we can only send the runner out three times. Um so there's there's a fair bit more kind of strategy into, you know, how quickly do we pull the trigger on on something, you know, um, can the girls sort it out on the field themselves first? The head coach kind of has to oversee everything and as line coaches, um, we've got to focus on on what our lines are doing so and communicating that to him and he might then come up with that kind of strategic idea but he's also very good at allowing us to, you know, offer, you know, potential scenarios that might counter, you know, momentum or, uh, you know, as I said, any kind of uh, variable that pops up. Um, but really, you know, we've, we've got live stats, we've got live footage that we can uh, review, you know, how did that player get to that position without, you know, someone on them, you know, how they're getting the, how they're getting a drop off, all those kinds of things like, in terms of resourcing, we're fairly lucky. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that we generally have, you know, probably 
um, conversations towards the end of the quarter, what are our key messages to our line? So we're all aligned and on the same page there. And um, when the head coach speaks to them before, you know, at, at the last instance before the break, then, you know, it all comes together in his message as well. So it's reinforced. Um, Dilla, for yourself, um, we've, we've spoken about Pierre's week and obviously your week's fairly similar in, in many regards, but um, in terms of specifically with, with your role there as the head of development there, um, what's that sort of look like for you in terms of if you were to sort of explain your role to, what is it, the elevator pitch, someone who doesn't know what you do, what's that look like there at the uh, at the Eagles for you? Yeah, sure. It, um, it certainly is... Uh, weighted more in the pre-season phase like the the heavier lifting for one of a better term in in my role um as you can imagine with the title of head of development um it starts to taper like during the season there's 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 obviously less time available for me to execute my role during in season but obviously there's still elements that I that I try to do um, the ele- elevator pitch would be that basically my role, I have to be across um, all players' skill development, their craft and their footy IQ and how that's tracking, where they're at specifically, what they're good at, what has a little bit of room for improvement, um, what their role-specific stuff might be and how I can underpin whatever their line coach or their head coach's main messaging or main way of teaching it might be. Um I, I predominantly uh, work with the non-playing players as well as another development coach once a team uh, is announced or a squad is announced each week. So peer, peer alluded to the scrimmage. So because there isn't a state league season running during AFLW, we obviously, the girls that aren't selected, we need to see them perform in some way, shape or form and obviously training is only one element. So the AFL uh, has basically sort of resourced scrimmage games. So, like, for example, uh, we played Carlton on the weekend and then the Dockers played Hawthorne on the weekend. So it was arranged that uh, Fremantle, Hawthorne, Carlton and ourselves, the non-playing players from each group, would get together and play a scrimmage, um, obviously coordinating the needs of, of all four clubs over the period of about an hour of football. Okay. And um, then, so you know, our, our seamless process. I mean, uh, yeah. I we're four competing agendas for one of a better term. It'd be tough to get exactly what you want out of it. Uh, yeah. Like so far, so good. Um, I guess there could be, uh, you know, different teams will have different things they want to get out of it. Um, but so far, so good. So we've done it round one and round three. Um, and it went it went well in round one. Um, both I've, I've very limited conversation with the opposition ab- about how they felt it went, but seemed to be quite a positive tone to, to what they were saying. And um, certainly uh, on the weekend, it was pretty harmonious. Um, Fremantle and Carlton sort of basically made a team and ourselves and Hawthorne, basically made a team and we, we worked closely with, with Hawthorne's coaching staff and they were very um, willing and adaptable as were we to, to get what we needed. Um, it was just a pretty quick conversation with their coaching staff. You know, we have 
ex-player that, you know, needs to play a little bit of the back line. Does that suit? Yes, no problem. Uh, we have ex-player that needs to play some midfield time to see her play midfield. Does that suit? Yes, that does. You know, we've got another player um, that also needs to do the same. They can split their time between playing forward and practising their forward craft and and then swapping into the midfield. So, so far, so good. Um, I can certainly see how there could be some roadblocks in the future. Um, but in essence, my week at the club is is very similar to peers in terms of a time commitment. Um, however, my uh, structure to, to sort of Monday, which peer alluded to, is, is more review-based, recovery-based, uh, depending on when we played, will determine the, the loading uh, in terms of on track. Um, but I'll, I'll sort of organically check in with some players. I will have watched footage with uh, more of a skill slash craft slash football IQ lens, whereas obviously Pia will watch any footage with a, with a forwards lens because obviously that's her line. And I'll just I'll sporadically check in with, with players with, with what I saw and um, if I feel I need to, to book in a time with them once I get to the club, after I finish my day job, um, I will. Uh, obviously, similarly, on a Wednesday, I'm unavailable to attend, but uh, as Pia alluded to, our head coach, Mick Pryor, is is very receptive um, to being collaborative in terms of our training planning. So we, we have a training planning meeting every week, and he obviously is open to our ideas, and, and Pia and I are allowed to contribute to that and and then you know drills and bits of craft and and whatever it might be elements of training are then implemented on a Wednesday I'm there on a on a Thursday uh, sorry a Friday um, and similarly just helping out maybe taking a drill maybe taking a player out of training and working on a specific craft element skill element maybe chatting to them about a particular football IQ element. Um, as I said, more honing in in terms of a lens of, of specifically their development um, week by week. Uh, on a game day, I'm I'm bench coach, so basically I'm the I'm the conduit on the bench with a headset between the coaches in the box and the players on the bench. Um, that's 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 a job that probably needs earplugs at times. <laughs> um, yeah, you you. You need to develop a skill of filtering. That's okay. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's an emotional game, and players get stressed, and coaches get stressed, and I get stressed, and and make emotional outbursts. But that's that's only natural, and it's just passion coming through, in my opinion. And but yeah, definitely, I I sort of uh, I'm able to have good conversations with the coaches and players on on game day with what I'm seeing and how we're trying to play and reinforcing that on the bench. And um, often the coaches can't see which players have come to the bench to have conversations within game. And I, I find a big part of my role is allowing them to keep their eyes on the field. And, and I can sort of say to, to Pia, Hey, such and such a forward has just come to the bench. Did you want to check in with her? And, Yep. And then that gives them an opportunity to go, yep, actually put her on the headset 
love to have to chat a chat to her about that last play or or whatever it might be. You know, similar to what um, Pierre was talking about before, I might see something structurally, and it's a nice open dialogue between me and the coaches from ground level up to the box, and and that's sort of my my role on on game day. So, um, yeah, needless to say, both of you have very, very packed days and weeks. Um, so mindful of that, we'll start to uh, go home, as they say. Um, one thing you mentioned there, um, Dilla, about the, the scrimmaging um, is that it's not a roadblock yet. But I think that speaks to the constant evolution of the AFLW and women's footy in general. So um, for both of you, just um, I guess your reflections on where uh, women's footy has come from and where it's at, sort of just your, I guess, your overall comment or, or your experience to, to sum that up. Um, yeah, I guess um, the comp did come early. So I think earlier than um, Gil, Gil brought it in earlier than everyone was kind of anticipating. So in terms of the AFLW, the first three years was kind of made up of talented footballers who'd plugged away at state level for a number of years and, and, and were talented in their own right, but um, perhaps had, you know, come to footy late. Um, and then you had a lot of cross-coder experiments as well, and some of them worked and some of them not so much. So, I mean, the, the first three seasons, it, it was low scoring, yet it was highly congested. You had high injury rates. Um, but I guess much like when you watch, you know, AFL footy from the mid 80s it's you know now looking at it it's a very different game it's evolved quite quickly um so um and and as I said before as I mentioned before that the AFLW competition coming in early only you know boomed participation at, at your local levels and state levels and it meant that they had to put that infrastructure in in terms of a pathway from Auskick all the way through to the elite one so um, while it was probably a bit rushed, um, it, it meant a lot of other things had to fall into place. And so now the girls that are coming through are girls that have played for a full pathway. So they've had that opportunity like, you know, uh, like Dilla mentioned that he had when he was, you know, a young lad could go down to a, to a footy club and, and find a team and, and play essentially all the way through and, and aspire for that. Um, success. So because of that, because you've got these athletes that have played footy, um, the IQ of the game is is getting higher. Um, I, I must say that you still do have, you've still got inaugural players playing in the competition yeah. um, eight years later and, and, and they obviously have been able to stay there because they have worked very hard despite that lack of a pathway. Um, but yeah, you've got girls coming through and, and you can see that they just, they know footy because they've played it for so long. Um, and you know, the skill level therefore is improving. Therefore you get less congestion. The, the game is more far paced. It, you can introduce more tactics. Um, so it's, it's evolved a lot very quickly. Um, and there'll always be criticisms, um, of it because unfortunately it is compared um, to the men's game. But I think, you know, to, to do that is a disservice. You have to compare it to where it was eight years ago. And if, yeah. if you look at the quality of the footy now, um, you know, I'm really proud of where the competition is um, in its short space of time, but also where it's going in terms of, you know, professionalism and, 
and, um, you know, a, a really entertaining brand of footy to watch. Yeah, without question. Yeah, I would, um, I'd pretty much concur with everything that Pia said. The, the closing of the pathway so that, you know, like to, to paint a picture, um, Pia and other young women like Pia and, and from our generation would have been able to play until they were 11 um, from ages 5 to 11 if they so wanted to when they were younger. It certainly wasn't as popular, that is for sure. But if, even I played with with a with a with a young female player um, in under like sevens, um, but the pathway ended at eleven, and then you had to find your way to uh, open age women's football at like basically eighteen years of age. So the most impactful years of the pathway uh, wasn't there for the longest time uh, for the young aspiring female footballers and. That pathway is now complete, and in my opinion, it's 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 rapid. The the in, instinctual players are starting to appear, and it it's by no fluke. I think those those players that subconsciously just have that natural football movement, um, and if you watch any early AFLW, you probably see the more unnatural movement just be, just because of the environment they may have come from, you know, whether it be across Kodam, whether it be um, not having, you know, the fortunate upbringing of a male footballer where you have those teenage years. Um, but now, like, Pierre and I see it so often with, with young players that have been able to come all the way through and the having – watched it from the get-go and, and now being involved in a competition for for five years, like the the increase is rapid. The increase in ability, the increase in skill, the increase in craft, the increase in professionalism, it, it's it's rapid. It's really rapid. And yeah, as I said, I concur. I'm I'm proud of what the AFL's done. I think it's great. Um I think yes it was probably a bit early. Yes, they they may you could certainly argue that they may have grown AFRW too quickly. You could certainly argue that point of view if you wanted to, um, but I think it's um, it's still getting better despite that, and the the level of footy is is rapidly increasing, um, and it's 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 a lot of fun to it's challenging and it's um, at times, particularly from our club, it's. Um, some disappointing elements in terms of performances, um, but we still certainly love and enjoy and 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 uh, embrace the the rapid development of the whole competition. Yeah, for sure. Um, and now I'm going to turn the subject to something I know you both love talking about yourselves, um, which is completely <laughs> tongue in cheek, given how humble you like Dikembe Mutombo in a big pot of gumbo, um, but. <laughs> What's sort of the next goals for yourselves? Um, I'm not sure how far you guys do look into the future, whether it's just sort of live in the moment sort of stuff. But for the both of you, what's what's sort of the next goals or aspirations um, from from your roles at the moment and beyond? Uh, we have tongue in cheek after visiting Tasmania earlier this year. Going, oh, could we uh, could we relocate there and and have a dip at, at those uh, those teams? But um, 
I don't know what Dilla, I won't put words in his mouth here. But um, for me, I, I just hope to be involved as long as I'm needed. And, you know, if what I'm doing now means that, you know, you get another um, class of female coaches coming through um, who will eventually um, be better than me, then, you know, I'm really happy um, with that and, you know, you you always want to leave any role um, in a better place than where it was when you when you first kind of inherited it. That's yeah. that's something that I um, strongly, I guess, strong part of my philosophy, particularly with coaching. Um, so yeah, look, I, I would love to love to stay in this pathway. I'd love to explore. You know, I'm always opening open to exploring you know, other opportunities, whether, you know, something came up in the men's pathway one day, well, you know, wouldn't that be awesome? Um, As a female, there's still, we still have a fair bit of self-doubt and imposter syndrome sometimes. So there's definitely some hurdles I would have to personally overcome uh, probably before I felt comfortable with, with, um, with that. But um yeah, I, I haven't put a haven't put a limit on it um, in terms of how many years I want to coach um, or where I want to go. Um, as we said before about opportunities, um, sometimes you just got to take them when they come, even if you know deep down you 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 do question whether you are ready. Yeah. Um, that's that's where your biggest point of growth comes from being challenged um, and and really pushing yourself. So. Um, yeah, sorry, I, I can't answer that question in terms of goals. Um, personally, I guess I guess for the team, um, West Coast, you know, we, we would like to see success as a team. Um, and, you know, that that's obviously regardless of, um, you know, whether I'm there or whether, you know, it's it comes, as I said, on, on the back of, you know, years years of work that I've done and and helped to get the team to, you know, the next step. Um, yeah, the, there's a, a desire in me to see, you know, this group and, and, you know, iterations of this group going forward have, you know, more success than, than has been achieved to date. Absolutely. Yeah, um, that good, good segue. Uh, first and foremost, I obviously started with the program at at West Coast and the uh, goal front of mind is to see this through um, to success. Um, Hopefully sooner rather than later. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm not looking personally any further than seeing the, the current program to, to get hopefully where I, where I believe it, it can get to. Um, Pierre sort of a, alluded to it a little bit, but I, I certainly strongly believe in the group that we've got. And uh, I do believe in time, hopefully sooner rather than later, but not to put a specific timeline on it, that uh, that, that I'm there and thereabouts to help the, help the group succeed. Um, that would be amazing. Um, but but personally, I, I'll, I'll admit uh, personally, I've I've toyed with the idea of of interviewing for for head head coaching roles here, there, and everywhere, women's pathway, men's pathway, whatever it might be. Um, I I don't I still am undecided if that's something that I want to do. Um, I 
I don't know how to explain it best, um, but I guess I'll just say that I think that uh, head coach of any program in any sport comes with an extreme level of scrutiny. Yeah. And um, I feel you are given way less wiggle room in terms of errors, uh, in terms of your ability to grow into the role. I, I believe that you're often appointed in, in whatever sporting pathway it might be, you're often appointed into that role and assuming yeah, I guess the outside assumption is that you're well and truly equipped to to succeed. And I think that some head coaches get uh, far too heavily scrutinised for, you know, not, not being able to achieve that in whatever time frame someone may deem adequate. Um, and in my personal view... I'm not sure where that sits with me. Um, yeah. It, like, I, I'm a I'm a competitor, and to be the best possible coach in, you know, the best possible position is obviously vague. But yeah. I guess I guess a loose way to put it. Um, but yeah, like, priority number one is to is to just. I'm very passionate about this program that we're in. Um, Obviously, from an individual standpoint, I've been there from the start and I've, I've seen the trials and tribulations and I've seen how difficult it's been. So it'd be really rewarding to see them succeed. Do I individually have a goal to um, coach in another role in our club, another club? Maybe, maybe. Uh, as I said, it's, it's, not, it's not something that I'm actively seeking, um, but... If an opportunity was uh, was presented to me, I I certainly would would consider it. Yeah, for sure, and 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 I agree. There's a lot of scrutiny that goes towards their their head coach that like your your other coaches don't usually get. Not that it's a good thing, and that I agree with it. I don't read my drafts uh, at all on, <laughs> before I send because it's the thirty seconds immediately after a result. Uh, free time within reason i think but no um you're right there comes a lot of scrutiny there that and probably goal kicking coaches but again i'm probably putting my red white and blue hat on there um <laughs> before we before we wrap up guys um because you've both got amazing stories to where you've got to so far and uh and i don't say that just because you guys are mates and trying to you know pump up your tires or what have you but um i think if people were either looking to get involved in coaching or get involved with women's footy you guys would be as best, a, I guess, an oracle as, as anyone else to provide the advice. So whether or not you want to split it up or whether or not you want to tackle, you know, it both, um, what advice would you give to someone who was either wanting to get involved in coaching and or into a women's footy pathway? All right, I'll go. I'll jump in. Shoot. Um, shoot. I, I think... Uh, again, having done a couple of um, female fo- coaching forums uh, lately and speaking to coaches at community level and state level, um, you know, if you're, if you're a woman looking to get involved in coaching, um, you are still, unfortunately, you, you're going to um, at some places cop some backlash, people questioning whether you know what you're doing. Um, 
that's whether you've played or whether you haven't. Um, but the, the, the only thing you need, I believe, to be a successful coach is um, that desire to progress your athletes, okay? So whether that be um, you have just been a lifelong fan of the game and, you know, watched footy every weekend, whether that be that you have played, um, whether that be that you've coached another sport and, you know, your kids are coming into AFL and they need a coach and um, you want to get involved, um, please, please do get involved. It's so important. Um, but in that journey, you're going to need a mentor. So finding someone that's going to support you through that, that doesn't necessarily have to be um, a mentor at the club or even another coach as a mentor, but someone who you can run ideas off and, and who can support you. Um, I'm very lucky to have a mentor in the house who um, I can bounce ideas off. But, um, yeah, you're going to need some support there. When you're doing anything that deals with people, uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, emotion that can come with that. So um, I guess my advice is if, if um, you know, Footy in particular, you've got a lot of athletes. Um, you know, you can have squads of, you know, 30 sometimes and, and that's a lot of people. So you really need support around you, um, whether that be assistant coaches or, as I said, mentors or, or um, other people. But um, please look past that resistance that you might get um, early on because uh, I think, you know, women have so much... Um, you know, to give the game of AFL, um, whether that be, as I said, in the women's pathway or in, you know, um, you know, the pathway coaching sons, um, you definitely just have to have that, uh, that love of the game and that desire to, to make your athletes, um, you know, improve, but also love the game as much as you do and, and not fall out of love with it. That's, that's kind of our job as coaches to, to maintain that um, that desire to play and to perform. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's it. You, you're going to hit resistance and, you know, I can't speak on behalf of male coaches, but I'm sure they hit resistance as well um, in going into the coaching pathway. But um, it will be hard, but, you know, don't give up and don't be afraid to ask, ask for help. There's so many resources out there at, at state level, uh, the AFL has a great kind of coaching platform that's got a whole lot of things that you can use from drills to concussion protocols. So the support is definitely there. Um, it's just sometimes you have to take the leap of faith, but please do it because we need we need more females in the pathway for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, Dilla, uh, pressure's yes, on. That, that's a pretty good advice and gauntlet that Piers just because uh, I don't know how you're going to top that, but... Um, any advice that you would pass on there? Yeah, look, I think, um, yeah, tough to follow that. Agreed. Uh, I would bounce off the back of it and say from a male perspective, working in women's pathway sport, um, be open and inclusive. That's the, like, particularly uh, in community sport or at elite pathways levels, um, the more coaches um, we we get especially ones that show an interest uh, show an interest in being driven to be you know 
educators, coaches of of people, whether they be, you know, junior level, um, adolescent or or seniors, just be be inclusive. Um, be like have conviction, but but be open minded. Like that that sort of goes for male coaches and so like existing or new female coaches. I I would I would say in my own reflections, there's there's been times where I've probably been too confident in my own outlook on whatever the particular issue was at hand, and I probably wasn't open-minded enough. Yeah. And then there's been other times where I've tipped the balance too far the other way, where I've been too open-minded and I haven't backed my conviction about whatever was presented in front of me. So the challenge is to to have that conviction in in what you believe and what you want to coach um, and how you want to move progress your group forward, but also be open-minded and find the right time to be both, I guess, and practice to to be to be both, I guess. And and in my opinion, that sort of works on a couple of different levels. Like if you're a if you're a male coach in a female pathway, why not why not encourage more females to explore getting into the pathway if you're a if you're a male coach in a male pathway and you've got um a mum of a male player that shows interest comes down to training wants to get involved in drills why not absolutely like if you spend it eric you'd you'd definitely be one to agree with this finding good volunteers is extremely hard so And especially, especially driven ones, especially ones that show any resemblance of of willing to develop themselves to then develop others. That those people are are hard to find. They're rare. And so, if you are in a position where you find someone like that, nurture that, help them out, hundred um, percent. What I would say to to current coaches is like. Particularly, I can't speak to other sports, but I imagine, in particular, the national sports of, of you know that, of of football, as in soccer and yeah. and cricket, and and even probably even basketball. But there's probably something very similar to the platforms that that AFL provide, and state league clubs are very very open to, um, helping out community based teams and coaches, and even, even the AFL teams, West Coast and Fremantle, they have a bunch of resources that they're they're willing to share and they'll they'll be honest with you. Like if you you call or email the club and ask for the, you know, the community's department representative, like, you know, I have a women's team and I don't know, I need some drills or I need some help. Can you point me in the right direction? They're not gonna they're not gonna come and coach your team for you, but they're they're all about growing the sport and the pathway as as much as anybody else. So reach out, look for resources so that, you know, when it when it comes time for you to for you to grow and your program to grow, you've got those things to bounce off. Um, and just to finish, like Pia alluded to mentors. That was something that um, really fast-tracked my development as a coach and it came in many forms for me. And as Pierre alluded to, that doesn't need to be 
you know, another football coach or someone you deem a good football coach or an experienced football coach, that person, in my opinion, that mentor is just someone who you can have a good dialogue with to bounce ideas and circumstances off and you can then have really good conversations around how you get better, how you um, diversify, how you make your program, your coaching better by self-reflecting and reflecting with a mentor. So it doesn't need to be as linear as, you know, I found a, a coach in a, a state-based program at, at East Romano Football Club and I want to latch on and I want them to be my mentor. It, it can be, you know, it can be as simple as a, a mate that, you know, you have good dialogue and they're willing to have those conversations with you. Um, and it, it's a pretty powerful tool. So that's probably as best as I can follow up PMA. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, well said, both of you. Um, well, that, that brings us to the the end, I guess. Of the, I was going to say the formalities. I went into MC mode there for some reason. Um, but uh, any final words before we wrap a bow on this uh, today, guys? I'm really appreciative of your time, but, you know, uh, late, uh, even though, you know, podcast happens whenever someone listens to it, but it's late at night as we record this. Uh, any final words for anyone listening here? Uh, more so a thanks to you, Eric. Um, you know, it's... It's uh, really nice to have someone interested in, I guess, hearing our stories and allowing us to share, you know, our humble advice. Um, it's, yeah, and hopefully people do listen listen to this. Um, but, yeah, it, it, as I said before, um, you know, don't be afraid of, of any opportunities that come, um, you yeah. know, yeah, there will be people there that are willing to help you get to where you want to go um, and, you know, hopefully you fall in love with uh, coaching as much as we have. Yeah, and I'll, I'll concur that uh, super appreciative of, you know, the space you're creating here, Eric. I think it's a really cool concept and I'm super grateful, uh, A, that you have had us on and B, that you've painted us in a very, very, Positive light that I'm not sure that we've earned, but we'll, we'll take it. Um, Bella, trust but, me, um, in, in my art class at high school, I never got a passing grade, so I can't paint nothing. This is all just yeah. the authentic subject here that we're presenting here. Uh, you, you're very kind, mate. You're very kind. Um, yeah, I guess, like, for anybody listening, uh, the, the major points I guess I want to convey that I've learned in my time coaching was that, that Ted Lasso analogy that if you're genuine and you spend the time to build relationships and then in terms of how you actually adapt that, like how you action that, is that you have conviction in what you do and what you believe, but you have the right balance of being open-minded as well. So the, the conviction doesn't outweigh being open-minded to ideas and change, but also the open-mindedness doesn't outweigh your personal conviction. So you've got to always have that, I guess, true north of, of your personal beliefs and um, direction when coaching. But I, I reckon the best coaches are the ones that find the best balance of, of being open-minded to, to new ideas as well. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that is just um, across all sporting codes at all levels as well. So it's not just at the elite level, which you both are. So thank you so much for joining us and, and appreciate your kind words. It's uh, We're not quite at uh, mate's hires uh, sort of um, uh, realms with the podcast. This is genuinely, I, I love both your stories and to have you both on, it's been absolutely wonderful. Of course, if you want to follow along on how Diller and Pears uh, West Coast Eagles are going, follow along on all the socials. The Instagram handle for the AFLW side is Eagles AFLW. So if you do lean the way of the blue or the gold or you lean that way of uh, footy, make sure you're giving that, that profile a follow. So you keep in touch. Uh, they do some wonderful things in terms of um, not just what happens around the club, but even like announcements and things like that stuff that you only see that way. So if you are a fan of the blue and gold Eagles, and even if you're not, make sure that you're following along and keep them track because uh, as we round to the pointy end of the men's season, the footy's going to keep on going here. Um, one of the, I guess we won't delve deeply into the change of uh, timing of the year or whatnot. Well, that could be another podcast, but um, the footy does keep on going there for AFL fans. So again, Pierre Diller, thank you so much for your time here today. And uh, I'm sure everyone in the listenership um, gained a heck of a lot out of your experiences and your uh, stories today. Thank you, mate. Thanks, Eric. Well, what a fascinating interview that was with both Pierre and Diller. I mean, I felt like I was Bruce McEvaney. I could just sit there all evening and just talk footy. So thank you very much to both of them and the West Coast Eagles as well for the access there to two very key influential, which is a bit of tautology, but key influential people in that West Coast Eagles uh, makeup for their AFLW program. Before we get out of Dodge today, it's time for this week's episode of Help me to help me. Help me to help you, Barbie. Help me to help you. Help me to help you. Help me to help you. Okay, well, maybe calling it a new episode is maybe a little facetious. Uh, but the latest edition, I guess, and uh, we still need to work on that stinger because uh, still not really sending any royalties John C. McGinley's way and... I'm sure if our listenership uh, reached out to him, he probably still wouldn't know I exist. But still, you know, you don't want to take those chances. But um, yes, help me to help me. This week, look, first of all, I I really wanted to just say help me to help me with that Telstra ad. Uh, That one that says this is footy country where they they break down in the the bus on the way to the the grand final. Um, She rounds up the people in a ute, or not a ute, a van, and takes them to the game. Why don't you just round up the actual players and then you won't get absolutely smashed. But don't bring logic to an illogical situation is the old saying. So anyway, I don't want to go too far into that because then we might get too close to those old man yelling at cloud territories. I was a little bit scared of at the beginning of our podcast uh, in general. So I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path here. We're, We're going to go away from the sporting landscape and we're going to go to Spotify. Help me. So Again, I was saying, oh, we don't want to go to old man yelling at clouds, but I'm going to very much date myself on this one here. So um, I'm not knocking Spotify. Why, you can listen to some fine podcasts on that medium, like, say, well, this one and other ones, but um, it's definitely not a knock on the platform. Where is it? We'll find out. Like my ex-girlfriends would say, though, I think these issues are all you're doing, Eric. Bit hurtful. Brings back some, some terrible conversations. But 
I need your help in setting my Spotify up so I can get a variety bucket of favourite music because at the moment, it's not happening the way I want it to happen. I have one playlist, right? Red flag, I know. Look, it's only got 2,122 songs on it. Not much. I mean, that's, that's still, you know, I guess a little bit more than a baker's dozen. But I guess with a speaking of red flags, is it... Uh, you know, it is still named as if I'm in high school because, uh, quick story time, uh, I was a 13-year-old once. That's how time works. Don't let David Tennant tell you otherwise. It's not wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. It's linear. Uh, I was 13 once, and uh, and I loved wrestling. Outgrew that. Good work, me. Um, and I would burn CDs, legally, of course. Uh, for those of the age listening to this where they don't know what a crazy frog ringtone is, you probably don't know what burning CDs means. Well... A CD is a compact disc, and uh, it's a round disc uh, that you would insert into a CD player or a Discman, or I probably shouldn't have said Discman, that just further confuses things, but you pl- pop it in as something. Uh, it's like it's like your PlayStation and your Xbox, but, you know, for music only. Anyway, um, you plug in, you put it in there, and you got songs. Huzzah! Anywho, I would legally download my favourite songs from LimeWire. Well, LimeWire was a software that would destroy my dad's computer and, you know, one out of three times, if I was lucky, get me the song that I wanted rather than a 15-minute cover version of Eminem Cross with No Doubt. That was the thing that happened. Look it up. Not on LimeWire. Still probably full of viruses. Again, we'll probably put some legal disclaimers in there. Anyway, when I was in high school, I'd get all those songs that I had downloaded legally from my dad's computer, and I would uh, burn them, or, or copy them, as it were, onto said CD. And then these CDs would, you know, be then taken to school, taken wherever, whatever, and listened to. Um, oh, the WWF thing. Well, I called the, the CDs Totally Awesome Songs, Volume, whatever. Well, there might have been a Rika's always thrown in there, but I was 13. We were all 13 once. Um, anyway... The inspiration from that title, of course, WWF wrestlers Christian and Edge. Anyway, fast forward years later, that's a real measurement of time, my Totally Awesome Songs playlist on Spotify has 133 hours and 49 minutes of certifiable bangers, ranging from Annie Lennox to Zed. And I wasn't lazy there, I just meant Zed, the guys who sang Renegade Fight. I think it was on an American Pie soundtrack. American Pie, again, probably something you youngins don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, do you think that in that 133 hours and 49 minutes without um, songs repeating, do you think I get that? No, I don't. No, 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 no. I'll hear the same old malarkey over and over and over again. Um, Although I don't think the Nelly song over and over is on there. But anyway, that's another story for another day. So what am I doing wrong? Help me out, listeners. Why doesn't Don Cheadle's algorithm like me? Am I a lazy psychopath for just dumping all the songs into one playlist? Perhaps. I mean, how have you got your playlist set up? Genre, mood, alphabetical, era, errors? Well, maybe it's probably not all Taylor Swift songs, but who knows? There's some Swifties out there. Anyway, the whole point of this old man yelling at Cloud, yeah, I did go into those territories I didn't really want to go into. Well, the whole point is, hit me up with what your setup is, please. Suggestions, uh, I guess, take, give me some recommendations while you're at it as well. And um, please, help me to help me.
That brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, again, as always, thank you so much for, for listening through. I know the meat and potatoes of our show is the wonderful interviews and guests that we have. So you might not even be listening to this part. You might have checked out ages ago and didn't hear my just ridiculous old man rant. But I really appreciate you listening and appreciate you sharing uh, sharing the love, sharing the feedback as well, um, hitting me up via DM or via the socials as well on X. X. It's HeyPalPod uh, on Instagram, HeyPalImCoachable. And of course, their email address, HeyPalImMailable at gmail.com. Please shoot through all your feedback. Love to hear it. Um, what I'm doing well, hopefully something, if you're still listening at this point, probably not going up another octave there. Who knows? Um, things that I could improve upon, like, you know, maybe going back down to a more reasonable talking uh, volume rather than scaring off your dogs while you're just trying to have a walk in the park. But again, really appreciate anyone who is uh, listening and, and talking about the show, sending me those messages. If you are enjoying um, what, what I'm doing here, please, um, if you feel as burnt it, uh, chuck a review, chuck us uh, you know, a rating on those streaming platforms. It helps with all the numbers and the boffins are happy. And if you really are enjoying it... Um, the only way, I guess, a podcast like this grows is by word of mouth initially. I mean, I don't have no uh, big-time advertising budget. You don't see uh, Tourism Rest in Australia hitting me up to try and host a big show at uh, Optus Stadium, even though I hate that place and it hates me. But just, uh, yeah, it's word of mouth. That's the only way that uh, something like this can grow. So if you're enjoying it, please um, share our links. Uh, have a chat at the old water cooler. Um, just say, hey, I'm listening to this podcast. The, the host is a bit of a dill pickle, but some really great interviews. Give it a listen, chuck it in your ear holes and add it to your podcast rotation. Be greatly appreciated. Um, I guess, and, and I don't expect that. I, I just appreciate, again, you you listening in yourself. But if you feel as though um, someone else could, uh, I guess, benefit from my dulcet tones and uh, more importantly, those wonderful interviews, please spread the word. We love it. So, Thank you very much, um, and I appreciate you listening in because it's been a, a hell of a week, as I mentioned uh, at the very top of the show. So appreciate it all. Uh, make sure that you look after each other, and uh, we'll see you next time on Hey Pal, I'm Coachable. <laughs>